Take your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew 14. Thank you, Isaac and Hannah, appreciate that. Matthew chapter 14. All right, Brother John. Brother John and I just have, he's my father-in-law, we just have a regular conversation, amen. Never mind, I'm, we let the rest of you listen in, amen. And I'm having some trouble with my uh, PA, with the PA system this morning, uh, Play around with the antennas on my mic because now it doesn't seem to be uh, handling it very good. Matthew 14 and verse number 1. I'm going to leave that pulpit mic in there in case we switch back to that. Matthew 14 verse 1. I want you to stand with me this morning and uh, read with me <clears throat> Matthew 14. And again, we'll read responsively. Give me just a little more uh, monitor, Brother Chris. Matthew 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch, that means his, he ruled a fourth of a kingdom that his father had given to him and his siblings. That's what that Tetrarch is a reference to. And it covered kind of the area of Galilee and then down the east side of the uh, Jordan River did not include from what I could tell, at least at this time, uh, or at least initially, the city of Jerusalem, but maybe it did later. But uh, so Herod, uh, ruling for the Romans, and let's read together in verse number two, and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works did show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison. For Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. That means on a platter. Now notice verse number 9. It's my text verse this morning. And the king, that's Herod, was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent... And beheaded John in the prison, and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. I pray now that you would meet with us. I pray that you would encourage us. You would strengthen us in the truth of your word. There's some here today who do not know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. If there are some who are discouraged and downhearted, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. And Lord, I pray that for all of us, you would give us some truth so that we could leave this place better able to live a life that is pleasing to you. And we'll thank you for it, for we ask in your name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. It's not my message this morning, but an interesting thought about this passage comes to mind and that is, when John the Baptist was beheaded, in the story we just read, Jesus was on the earth less than 50 miles away. Think about that. 
People are like, I don't understand why God would allow something bad like that to happen. Look, folks, we are living in a fallen world. Bad things happen. Yes, Jesus healed folks. And yes, he raised some from the dead. But it has always been of interest to me that while Jesus was less than 50 miles away, uh, could have been much closer than that, John was beheaded in prison. So if you and I have the right to ask, which I don't believe we do in the sense we can always ask, nothing wrong with asking, it's demanding an answer that's the problem, amen. Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So no problem with asking, but demanding an answer is not wise. But uh, if, if we have the right to ask that question, then certainly John had much more of a right to ask that question. Because <laughs> if there was ever a time when you thought, you know what, this is going to work out okay, uh, you would have thought it would have been then. And, uh, but uh, that as an aside to my message this morning, coming back to the story here, which I've given you a little bit already, Herod is ruling and uh, the Roman government in charge of the Middle East there, uh, what we would refer to, much of what we would refer to as the nation of Israel today. And we began in the chapter with Herod learning about the fame of Jesus, obviously a reference to the miracles of Christ that comes to Herod. And he came to an incorrect conclusion that uh, Jesus uh, was actually, he thought, boy, if Jesus, if this Jesus working these miracles, this must be John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. Now, then the Bible gives us the story of why it would have had to, if, if it was John the Baptist, he would have had to be resurrected from the dead. It wasn't John the Baptist, it was Jesus. But Herod sees this, he says, wow, uh, maybe this is John the, and he wasn't excited about that. Because then, as the Bible tells us, he was the one who had put John to death. But this is what he is thinking, and we'll touch, we'll come back to that in a, in a, in a few minutes. That fact that he, this whole thing is precipitated by the fact that Herod hears about Jesus and says, whoa, John the Baptist is back alive again. And then the scripture tells us what had happened and how that Herod had been the one who had ordered John the Baptist to be killed. And it's one particular part of that story that I want to draw our attention to this morning. But let's talk about the story first. Uh, John the Baptist out there preaching the gospel. But at one point, he found out that Herod had married his brother's sister. The sister had divorced. Secular history teaches us the sister had divorced uh, her husband and married Herod. And so uh, John the Baptist hears that, and John the Baptist, not being politically correct, not understanding that politics and religion do not mix, he made the error of calling him out. He said, hey, that's wrong. Now, I don't know that he did. It almost sounds like he had at some point maybe met Herod. I don't know if the uh, governors did meet and greets back then, like we're doing on, on Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know how that worked. But it sounds like at some point he had said specifically to Herod, maybe Herod had just, maybe he had just made a point of it 
in his preaching. But I will say this, John the Baptist did not back down from preaching on issues that were not politically correct across the board. And he did not back down from preaching against sin and calling people to repentance. And so uh, that's the situation here. Herod, heards about, Herod hears about it, but somebody else also hears about it. Who's that? His wife, who is Herodias, who, is, who had divorced her husband, his brother, and had married him. She hears about it. And as much as Herod doesn't like it, he doesn't like it. But Herodias uh, doesn't like it at all. And, and we know that because of what happened in the story. Herod's first thought, we are told, was to put John the Baptist to death. Now, that was an option they had back then that, uh, thank the Lord, that's not an option in the United States of America. You know, it is an option, unfortunately, in many countries, at least a good number around the world today where Christians are being persecuted and you can be uh, imprisoned for your faith, China thinking of, uh, North Korea killed for your faith, uh, and other places undoubtedly as well. And that was the case here. Uh, they were living in, under tyranny in the Roman government and Herod had absolute power to kill. Now, but however, he had that power to kill, but he, there was also still obviously an accountability because Herod was still worried about what all the people would think. And I think what Herod was thinking, you know, if I can do this and nobody says much and it never gets back to, you know, Rome or it never becomes a big issue here, I'm okay. And by the way, back then they didn't have social media, amen? They didn't have television cameras uh, where what you did anywhere in the world was uh, known everywhere else in the world instantly. So, but Herod kind of gauged this thing and he has to kind of walk a tightrope here. He's got his wife who hates John the Baptist. He's got himself who says, you know, the easiest way to fix this is just to kill him, be done with it. But he says, I got the people out there and they think he's a prophet. And it just might've been going through his head. You know, you better be careful. If he is a prophet, you probably don't want to kill the prophet. You know, prophets are probably not the right people to execute if indeed they are true prophets of God. So all this is going through Herod's mind. And in the course of all this, uh, his birthday comes along. You know, isn't that funny? They had a birthday party way back then. Folks, you didn't, maybe you didn't realize that birthday parties are not a new idea. Amen. <laughs> Everybody likes to have a birthday party. And uh, so Herod's birthday is coming up. And of course, uh, he decides to throw this party. He invites his friends. And uh, of course, I am sure the party was not uh, a Christian event, not a party that Christians should go to, amen. And by the way, let me just tell you, there are some parties that a Christian should not go to, even today. But he throws this party and... They have all the things a party has. I'm sure they have the, they have the music, and, uh, and I'm sure it wasn't gospel music, and they have the dance scene, and I'm just guessing they have the alcohol flowing. Folks, you know what? A lot of things don't change. <laughs> really, 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 really what's new is pretty much old in many cases. And all this uh, uh, wild party is going on, and... 
Herod asks his wife's daughter to come and dance. And I'm guessing again, uh, she was probably just guessing, probably very modestly dressed, probably a very sensual dance. He has all his friends there. He kind of wants to show off his new wife's daughter. And she obliges. She comes out and she undoubtedly liked all the attention. And this party goes on and following his uh, or following her dance, he says, you know, and he's trying to show off his power and everything, you know, he can do. And he says to the daughter, he says, look, uh, I'm going to make you an offer. Whatever you want, you can have. Don't ever say that to your kids. Amen. <laughs> How, how many ever, you know, that's one thing I have never said to my kids. You know, I can vouch. I have never fallen into that trap. And, uh, but that's what he said. He probably, you know, you know what that proves to? He had been drinking. Amen. <laughs> so he was probably drunk. And uh, so he makes that offer and she is already prepared with an answer. Because her mother had already seen where this might go. And she says to Herod, her stepfather, I guess you would call him. She says, look, I'll tell you what I want. And by the way, I thought about this. This is probably one of those moments when, you know, if this had been a movie where it would have gone into like slow motion. You know, everything is moving. There's the wild party. There's the singing. There's her dancing. There's the noise. There's all this going on. And all of a sudden, it all just comes to a stop when Herod asks her, whatever you want. And the way I picture this, I don't know this to be the fact, but the way I picture this is silent. The music stops. The dancing stops. The singing stops. The drinking stops. Everybody just stops, and they're focused on Herodias' daughter. I mean, you want to know what she's going to say. She's just been told she can have whatever she wants. And she says, I want an iPhone, right? No, not what she <laughs> She said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter on a charger. Now, I don't know, but I'm just guessing even in parties that had nothing to do with being spiritually right and anything that, that were immoral and just like this, I still think this was probably not the normal request. And my guess is there was a, a uh, just, I, I, think the, I think the air just left the room. Woof. And a gasp. Oh. Who would ask for such a thing? And now, from, her, from the daughter, all eyes go where? To Herod. What's he going to say to such a request? And I want us to look at his response. Verse number 9, my text verse this morning. Notice this. The first thing the Scripture says, And the king was sorry. He was sorry.
He didn't see this coming. He's certainly not happy about the situation he had gotten himself. This is all going through his mind. You ever been, that's why I see you kind of have to slow this moment down, almost stop it frame by frame by frame, because there is so much happening here in such a split second. Here's Herod in front of all his friends. He's made this outrageous offer. Now he's been given an outrageous request. He's in front of his friends. He's at his own party. He's been put on the spot, and in the back of his mind, he's thinking to himself, that new wife of mine just got me. Because he knows, he's looking at the daughter and he's saying, you did not come up with that by yourself, amen? So he's trying to process this. And at the same time, you know, you get in those situations, you're trying to process it and you want, you're trying to make it look like nothing's, nothing's wrong. I mean, your whole world just got turned upside down and you're just like, no, you know. All eyes are on him. He's running this through his head. It had never occurred to him. She knew, he, she knew his, his new wife hated John the Baptist. It had never occurred to him that, that, such, that she would manipulate the situation to this. He'd fallen prey to her trap. Now, he was sorry. Maybe he was sorry that he had allowed himself to be placed in this public predicament. We don't know exactly what it was he was sorry for, but maybe he was sorry that he had been caught off guard like this. Like, I should have been smarter than that. Maybe he was sorry for being so naive. Maybe like King Darius, I don't think this is probably the case, but it could be like King Darius back in Daniel's day, who when they made the, he made the law that you couldn't pray for 30 days, and then they found out that they had done that to set up Daniel to, to have him killed in the lion's den. And he was sorry, Darius was back in Daniel's day. Maybe he was sorry like that. Sorry that he would be taking the life of John the Baptist. Maybe over time he'd come to believe that John should get more credit than he had given him. That maybe he was indeed a prophet. I think the fact that he thought Jesus had come back as, that John the Baptist had come back as Jesus, I think that maybe tells us that he realized that John the Baptist just wasn't, just wasn't the next, another guy just walking down the street. Maybe he was even under conviction. I, I don't think that's probably the case, but maybe he was under conviction. And at that moment, he thought of him causing John the Baptist unjust and untimely death, and that caused him grief to be killing a prophet. But whatever the cause of his momentary sorrow, the promise he had made to Herodias, coupled with the crowd, or to the daughter, coupled with the crowd attending the party seated in front of him, he swept the sorrow aside and ordered the execution of John the Baptist. Now think about that for a minute. Look, verse 9, and the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, all of a sudden his promise was the most important thing in the world. You know, it's amazing how we can make promises and tell people we're going to do things, do this, and, you know, and it doesn't happen, and, well, you know, it doesn't work out, didn't work out. But, boy, when we get a promise that we made that, that uh, we want to do whatever it was, when we say, well, I promise, I got to do it now. Never mind all the times we haven't fallen th- followed through in the, in, the, in the past. 
He was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, his promise's sake, and notice this, and them which sat with him at meat. You know what it was? It was peer pressure. Now, folks, this is Herod. He is uh, like a king over that area. Yet he was subject to peer pressure. Let me tell you something. Put any one of us in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we can be subject to peer pressure. Nobody likes to go against the flow. Nobody likes to be the only person not going along. The peer pressure. And he commanded it to be given her. Now, here's the first point of my message this morning. It's this. He chose sorrow over strength. He chose to be sorry over being strong. You know, he decided that it was better to live with sorrow and save face than to have strength and do the right thing. You know, I have a saying around our house over the years with the, you know, with raising children. And uh, that saying is this, everybody's sorry. They're always sorry. (laughs) Everybody's sorry. Dad, I'm sorry about this. And Oh, I'm, we're sorry about that. And yeah, uh, we're every, you know, and sometimes you come to a place where you say, look, I don't want you to be sorry. I want you to do what I asked you to do. Amen. <laughs> Quit being sorry. I don't want sorrow. I want obedience. Look, and the same thing is true now applied to ourselves. Listen, don't give me sorry and let's not give God sorrow, sorrow. Give him courage. Don't give sorrow. Give perseverance. Don't give sorrow. Already mentioned it. Give obedience. Don't be sorry. Have strength. Have strength. Look, there is a time for sorrow and there's a time to be sorry. And I'll mention that. In a, in a little further along. But then there is also a time to forget about being sorry and find the strength to do the right thing, which is the hard thing, so that down the road you won't have to be sorry anymore. Right. Amen. Folks, you understand, there are some people who are sorry for the same thing today that they were sorry for a year ago, that they were sorry about a year before that, and they were sorry about the year before that, and the decade before that, and two decades before that. They're just sorry about it. Okay. Sorrow's good. It's good to be sorry. I should, I should change this. I should do this different. I, should, I shouldn't be like that. But there comes a point when sorrow doesn't count anymore. I'm just wondering this morning how many times God in heaven looks down at us from heaven and says, look, enough with being sorry. (laughs) Enough with it. I'm glad. Enough. I'm glad you came to the altar this week. I'm glad you feel sorry about that. I'm glad maybe you didn't come to the altar, but in your heart you said, Lord, I'm sorry about that. I'm glad about that. I think the Lord says, hey, that's great. That's wonderful. But you know what? You went out and did it again and again. And again, and again. And you're always sorrow. You're always sorry. But nothing changes. 
I wonder how many times God looks down and listens to us say, Lord, I'm sorry for the hundredth time of failing you in exactly the same way. Lord, I'm sorry that I put myself in this predicament again where I'm going to choose to do wrong instead of right. That was like Herod. Boy, I should, I am sorry I put myself in this mess. Now I've got to do the wrong thing. Boy, I mentioned it, mentioned it, it seems like re- several times recently. But I'll tell you what, it fits right in here too. You go out there to the county jail, and I've said this, there's a room out there where everybody is sorry. I mean, they are just absolutely sorry. And man, they're, I shouldn't have done this, and I made a mistake. You know, there, there's, two, there's two sides. There's one where they're sorry, and then there's the other where they're innocent. Amen? You would be amazed how many innocent people are in your county jail. It is, they are just lined up out there. Somebody else did it. Now, I don't know. When I go in to visit somebody, I don't know. The, the thing I like the most about going in and visiting somebody at the jail is that when I get ready to leave, they let me back out. Amen? That is what I like the best about visiting at the jail. Other than that, but I'm telling you, I go out there and I try to help people. care. But they're sorry. That's good. You know, but sometimes you want to say, look, think, let's think back. You were sorry three months ago when you were in here. And you were sorry a year ago when you were in here. Enough of being sorry. Start doing right when you get outside the doors. I wonder how many times the Lord hears us say, I'm sorry about not getting serious about living for Him. Lord, I'm sorry I I didn't get victory over my sin. Lord, I'm sorry I don't do the things that I know you want me to do, that I've known for years you want me to do. Lord, I am so sorry I didn't do those things. And I wonder if the Lord doesn't say, you know, I'm glad you're sorry. But what about some true repentance that results in change? I'm saying this morning, that type of sorrow isn't going to do us as believers any good when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What Herod should have said to Herodias is, and if he wanted to be sorry, fine, I'm sorry, but I can't do what you just asked. I'm sorry. And by the way, wherever he is right now, I think he still wishes he hadn't done this one. I'm sorry, but I'm, he could have said this. Look, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to break my promise. You know, I'm just guessing if he had broken his promise, it would not have been the first time he broke his promise. Over the years, pastor, I know I should do this. I know I need to do, go there, be here, be, but I promise somebody, you know, isn't it amazing? Now, sometimes we can break the promises that we should keep and we keep the promises we should be more than happy to break. He should have said, I'm sorry, in front of all his friends. He should have said, I'm sorry, but I would rather embarrass myself and be the laughingstock for a day than to be known for all the ages to come as the one who ordered the death of possibly the greatest prophet to ever live. Laugh at me, 
Think about how my, my new wife got me. Think about how her daughter, how they took advantage of me, mock me for it. That's fine, but I'm not killing a prophet of God. That should have been his response. He should have had some courage. He should have stood up. He should have had some strength. Instead, it's just, I'm sorry. He should have said, I'm sorry if I'm disappointing you, but that is far better than offending God in heaven. Folks, you know what? Sometimes doing right means we have to offend others even when we don't want to. I'm not saying on purpose. I'm not saying vindictively. I'm just saying you get in situations and people expect this of you and you've got to say, look, I am sorry. You know, sometimes there's a place where you say, you know what? I'm sorry, but I am a Christian and I cannot do that. Sorry to offend you, but better you than God Almighty. Like Joseph, who fled when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. You know, the Bible doesn't say he said it, but Joseph could have said to Potiphar's wife when she came in, tried to seduce him to commit adultery with her. He could have said on his way out, I'm sorry, but I'm out of here. Hate to ruin your day, but I'm leaving. By the way, that cost him two years in prison. Unjustly. He paid for that choice to do the right thing. But I'll promise you this. I don't think Joseph would have ever been second in command of Egypt had he fallen that day. That was a test. I wonder how many believers we have failed to pass the test God has put before us. And as a result, we never go on to what God really wanted for us. like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. And they basically did say that. They, they basically said, look, we're sorry, king. Sorry about this. Uh, we know you're going to throw us in a fiery furnace. And if that happens, God's still big enough. He can spare us. But if not, too bad. Sorry to mess up your day, but we just we have to choose. We're going to either serve God or serve you. We're going to serve God. strength like Daniel on his knees in prayer knowing that they were trying to throw him into the lion's den destroy his life yet he prayed anyway like those men Herod should have chosen strength over sorrow and folks all I'm saying this morning I'm going to cut this short maybe pick up tonight because I have another point but I'm not going to have time to develop it But I'm saying this morning, we should do the same. Amen. You know what? I'm just guessing this many folks here this morning. I'm guessing there's some who it's time to say, look, quit being sorry and start doing right. Amen. Quit making excuses and, oh, I feel bad about this. I feel bad about that. And I understand there's a place for that. And I'll come back to that tonight. There's a place for godly sorrow. But the sorrow, we'll see it tonight. The Bible tells us this kind of sorrow is worldly sorrow. It is sorrow of the world. 
You know what that means? You're sorry, but it doesn't change anything. You're sorry, but you don't get right. You're sorry, but you don't ever get any courage. You're sorry. Some young people may be at home, mom, dad, I'm sorry. And then you go right around and disobey again. I'm sorry I didn't clean up my room, but you don't go clean it up. I'm sure that's never happened. I'm sorry I didn't come home like I told you, like you told me to. I'm sorry I didn't do that. And then the next day you go out and don't come home again. Folks, that kind of sorry doesn't count. It's worthless. And as believers, it doesn't count with God either. We need to get courage to do right. When we come to the altar and repent of our sin, which is a good and right thing to do, we should walk away with a determination to do right. Think about the words of Christ to the woman caught in the act of adultery. It was not go and come again tomorrow and be sorry again tomorrow morning. You know, I think she was sorry. There doesn't seem to be any pride in her. She, she did not present herself as a woman who was rebellious and thankful for what she had done. I think she was genuinely sorry, but Jesus didn't say, go, you know what? And every day, just come here and be sorry. No, what did he do? He said, go and sin no more. He said, you know what? Glad for the sorrow. If it's the right kind of sorrow, you're going to get up and you're going to go out, and you're going to live a pure life. If it's the right kind of sorrow, if it's truly godly sorrow, you're going to make some changes. Folks, we all know there are those things that we try to change, but we don't try very hard. Well, Man, I did it again. I slipped up. I cussed. I cussed again. Lord, I'm sorry. And five minutes goes by and you cuss again. Now, we live in a world where some people seem like they, don't, they can't speak the English language without cussing every... And by the way, teenagers, that does not show a high level of IQ. It shows a very low level of IQ. All right? You do not have to be highly educated to put a cuss word in between every three words. But I'm telling you this, you slip up, say, oh, man, I, man, I can't believe I did it again. What do you mean you can't believe you did it again? You've, you've been doing it for years and nothing ever changes. I don't think God's surprised you did it again. Folks, I'm just saying, we get in this pattern of, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And by the way, you can apply this, you can apply it on all levels of life. You know, my wife's here. I was hoping she was in the nursery or somewhere, amen. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. And next day, do the same thing over again. <laughs> it applies to our marriages. God help us. We need to work on our marriages, amen. It's not just enough. Well, I don't, I don't know what she's so upset about. I was sorry. Yeah, you've been sorry for the last, you know, 30 years that she's been married to you, amen. <laughs> enough of being sorrow having sorrow, start changing. Amen. 
We got some newlyweds back here. Man, you're at a good place. Amen. Just got married. You don't have this long track record. You can take this message today and man, you can just say, wow, that saves me a lot of grief over the years. Some of us who've been married a long time, we got to say, hey, you know what? That's me. You know what? Enough of being sorry. Let's, with God's help, let's start making serious changes so that we can go down the road and say, you know what? I was sorry about that. I don't have to be sorry about it anymore because the Lord has helped me to change. Talking now about believers. I've gotten some good habits in my life. I've started to establish. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm making sure that I'm walking with the Lord. I'm, stay, I'm not perfect at it, but you know what? I'm making progress. You know, and folks, you know what? If, if we're just making progress, I finish with this thought. I just, I'm reading a book, and it says, it says this. It's not, uh, not biblical based in the book, but it's, but it's a thought that fits along this. It says this. If you can just improve 1% every day, if you just make a commitment to improve 1% every day, just take this one thing, say, you know what? I know I need to get, do better at this and just fix that one little thing. If you will make that commitment every day, guess what? Over a period of time and not a very long period of time, you will be able to look back and say, hey, you know what? With God's help. And as a believer, you had God's help into that and the help of the Holy Spirit. You'll be able to look back and say, you know what? I'm making some progress here. Ask yourself this question. I don't know the answer to it, but ask yourself this question. When's the last time you, on a personal level, made any serious progress? When is the last time, take that one step further, when is the last time you made any serious spiritual progress in your life? Or have we just come to be content with I'm sorry. So have heads bowed, eyes closed.